Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. Now in a, in a small two-part series on how to overcome discouragement. Last week we went over the first part. And today we're going to go over the second part on how to overcome discouragement. Last week we understood and we knew that one of the ways of overcoming discouragement is by asking God to give you three things. If you want to overcome discouragement, you have to give, ask the Lord, give me now a mind to work, give me a heart to pray, and give me an eye to watch. And I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe today you're struggling with some type of discouragement, and you need to ask the Lord, Lord, <laughs> break me out of this discouragement that I'm going through. We'll ask Him, give me a mind to work, give me a heart to pray, and give me an eye to watch. But today we go into that second phase of overcoming discouragement, of rebuilding a work from the time of ruin. And that really happens where we stand in the gap. Today we are going to overcome discouragement by standing in the gap. What kind of gaps are there in your life? And although we talked about it a little bit, today we're going to go in a little bit even deeper on what it means to stand in the gap. We've heard about it before, you know, you need to stand in the gap there. You need to fill in the gaps here in your family maybe as you're rebuilding, right? A, a marriage, a home, a children, at work, anything it is that you need to stand in the gap to rebuild. But what does that mean? How does that look like when you stand in the gap? What does that look like physically, emotionally, spiritually? What does it mean to stand in the gap? What does it mean to stand in the gap? Well, first of all, in order to stand in the gap, you have to have a mind to work. To work with a purpose. To serve God with a purpose. To serve God with a passion, right? That's what we want to do. Nehemiah here and these servants, the Jewish now community, what they're doing, the Jews, is they're rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And they're faced with opposition with Sambalat, with Tobiah, and these people that are coming against them to stop the work that they have started. And you know what they come? They come to criticize them. They come now to also make fun of them, to mock them as they're doing something great for God. And a lot of the times we see the enemy come and try to mock us, to insult us, to humiliate us for our efforts in doing the work for God. And because of that, we become discouraged. And when we become discouraged, guess what also happens? We become weak. We're frustrated. We have no more energy to continue. Our strength is gone. Have you ever felt that you're tired? You see, a lot of the times your discouragement also tied into that you have no rest, that you're tired. That you are maybe fatigued. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 it says, And let us not grow weary. Don't ever get tired while doing good. For in due season we shall reap. And if we don't lose heart, how many times do you think that you were there right at the door of opportunity, right there at the time and at an opportunity right there, standing at the door of opportunity and standing at the door of change. However, you grew weary before it was time to reap and you lost heart. That verse speaks volumes because it tells us to not lose heart before it's time to reap. I think a lot of us, sometimes the Lord has so much in store for us, but we lose heart early. We quit early. We give up early. There's so much reward when it comes to you doing what God called you to do and the reward of faithfulness awaits you. 
And I want you to know that if you're being faithful to what God has called you to do, if you are continuing to do it diligently, the reward of faithfulness awaits you. How do you do that? By knowing God. And number two, knowing what He called you to do. Today, do you know God? Do you know Him in His Word? And do you know what He called you to do? Because if you don't know God and you don't know what He called you to do, more than likely you're going to be swayed from one thing to another. You're going to be emotionally swayed. You're going to be swayed by circumstances. You're going to be swayed by opposition. You're not going to continue with discouragement. But when you know God, you know Him in His Word, and you know what He called you to do, you're going to do great exploits. In Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it says, But the people who know their God shall be strong and shall carry out great exploits. Are you strong today? Do you feel strong? Because you know God. Because you know what He's called you to do. They shall carry out great exploits. Are you carrying out great exploits today? In your hands today, is there great exploits taking place? Because now we're going to see what it, what it looks like to carry out great exploits, to not lose heart, to not grow weary, to, to reap if we don't lose heart, right? To not get discouraged, to not give up, to not quit, right? To keep finishing what God called us to do in spite of internal discouragement. Last week we talked about external discouragement. What about internal discouragement? What about when the discouragement is from inside of your house? What about when the discouragement is from inside of the ministry? What about when the discouragement comes from within? What happens then? Because right here we're going to see when the discouragement was internal, not external, not somebody from the outside coming inside or criticize you. What about when the discouragement starts from the inside and the strength begins to fail? Nehemiah 4, verse 9. Let's read about what happened here because it says here, Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them we set a watch against them day and night. We know that they had a, uh, they had a mind to work, a heart to pray, and an eye to watch. But verse 10, it said, Then Judah said, and Judah is the strongest one of the tribes. The strongest one saying this now. The discouragement beginning from the inside. The strength, it says here now, of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we're not able to build the wall. <laughs> Think about that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, right now that you would speak to us, Lord. Lord, that we would understand that in spite of the exterior or interior discouragement, Lord, that you've called us to be faithful, to stand in the gap. To not grow weary while doing good. Because in due season, that's your season. We're going to reap something if we don't lose heart. If we don't give up. If we don't quit. And if we know you, Lord, we're going to be strong and carry out great exploits. And we ask, Lord, that today we would know you more. So that we can be stronger and we can carry out more work for you. Your name, Lord. In Jesus' name, together we said, Amen. It says here in verse now 10. That Judah the tribe, the one that was the strongest, the one that was leading this as well in some way because of their strength, started to now voice or complain now that they were too tired now. And he look at the words that he used. The strength here of the laborers, of those that are exhausting themselves, is failing. We're, going, we're getting weak. We're growing weak. We're growing weak. 
What happens when you try to start to do a work? Everyone's excited, everyone has energy, everyone has passion, everyone wants to show up. But little by little, what takes place? People start to get disengaged. Nobody really has the energy or the passion that once they did. And their strength starts to grow weak. And here the tribe of Judah notices this and guess what he does? The laborers here, the strength is failing. The strength is failing. Do you feel today that maybe your strength is failing? That you're so tired? You're tired of keep try, that you keep trying to rebuild something that God's called you to do. And you're tired and your strength is failing. Not only that, they start to look at the work and how much work they have done. And how much they have left. And you can say, man, this is how much we have left. There's no way that we're going to finish this wall. Because it says, and there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. There's so much work that we can't finish it. Now they're getting attacks from different angles. They got attacked through criticism, but now they're getting attacked from inside. Because people are getting discouraged when they see the amount of work and they see the little amount of strength. You see, we shouldn't get discouraged when you see the little amount of strength and the big amount of work. <laughs> I think that's one of the biggest failures sometimes in ministry or even in your family or even in your leadership. That you look at the resources you have and then you look at the work that needs to get done and you automatically get discouraged. <laughs> we'll never be able to do it with us. Do all of that. We'll never complete the wall. Judah's saying here now. And you see here that they start to get discouraged now. They're, they're losing strength. Number one, they're losing vision for what God called them to do. We can't finish the wall. And you know what they start to lose also? They lose confidence. They start to lose confidence now. You know, and you lose confidence, discouragement is not too far behind. Because they lost the confidence in trusting in God now. And they say this, there's so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. That, that, that rubbish that they're talking about is the trash. There's so much trash and heaps of trash that we're overwhelmed by the obstacles now. We can't do it. Have you ever seen something that God's called you to do and you're overwhelmed by obstacles? You're overwhelmed by opposition? You're overwhelmed that there's no way that you can finish that, what God called you to do? You see, the work of rebuilding the walls here now in Jerusalem, were not simply, they weren't just showing up and they're going to start building walls. No way. For over a hundred years, Jerusalem was lying in ruins. Its gates were burned down. His walls were burned down with fire as well. What does that tell us? How does that speak to us about that? That over a hundred years, you know what it was doing? It was collecting now trash and heaps of stones that needed to be removed. That needed to clear the way, the rubbish. It was not an option. Cleaning out the rubbish is not an option. If we want to start out with a strong foundation for that wall. It had to be done. The destroyed parts of the wall accumulated all these stones and this trash and this rubbish that had to be cleared away so that they can rebuild the foundations the right way. Or else the wall could not stand at all. You see, we need to clean before we can construct. A lot of times we want to construct and on the way of, in, in the midst of constructing, we'll clean the things out of our lives, of our families, of our ministry so that we can get the, the walls built in a hurry. But no, the foundation takes time. And God's called you to be able to clean before you can construct. And they're saying that rubbish is too much. There's too much rubbish. There's no way that we can do this. 
Have you ever thought that? There's too much to clean out in my life. There's too much to clean out in my family. There's too much to clean out of that ministry that there's no way that we'll ever be able to get it back on its feet. You see, that's what they were thinking. But nothing can be done for God's glory. Nothing can be done for the glory of God unless the rubbish is swept away as well. If you're not cleaning out that rubbish, if you're not taking out that trash, if you're not saying, Lord, I want you to cleanse me completely, then he's not going to be able to build the right way. God cannot build on rubbish. He has to build on something that is strong, a foundation. God will not build out on rubbish. We have to take out the garbage. And sometimes taking out the garbage can be discouraging. <laughs> it really can. But it must be done. Regardless of the resources, regardless of how much it is, we have to be diligent to say, Lord, clean this out so that then I can build the right way. Verse 11, it says, and our adversaries, the enemy here, look what they said, said, they keep speaking. Understand that the adversaries did not quit after the first or second or third th threat. They were there until the wall was done. Sometimes we feel, I gave my life to the Lord. I had a supernatural experience with God. He broke me. I was in tears. <laughs> That means everything's going to go well now. Absolutely not. The adversary will continue until the wall is completed. And you better expect the adversary. And it says, And our adversary said, They will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. What is the number one thing that the enemy wants to do? It is stop the work from continuing. He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy the enemy, wants to stop the work. So not only did they lose now the strength, not only did they lose now vision, not only did they lose confidence, after verse 11, you better believe that they lost safety. They lost security. I think we have to be careful about losing our confidence in God. Be careful about losing the vision that God has given you. Be careful about losing the strength that God's given you because you're looking at the obstacles and the amount that has, still has to be done. You see, there is a safety when trusting God. There's a safety in trusting God. And a lot of the times, the reason why people don't finish what God called them to do because they try to finish in the flesh what God started in the Spirit. And if you try to finish in the flesh what God started in the Spirit, you'll get tired and you won't do it. You'll get too discouraged. You won't continue. You won't finish. But verse 12, it says, So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them. Look at what, what, what happens here. And I want you to underline the Jews who lived near them. The Jews who live near who? The Jews who live near the enemy. If you live near the enemy, you're going to be filled with this type of news. <laughs> you see, a lot of times we're always... Filled with so much discouragement, so much negativity, so much, you know, uh, uh, coming here with, with attacks and discouragement and opposition and oppression and all that because we choose to live close to the enemy. <laughs> God hasn't called you to live close to the enemy. And that's exactly why we're filled with negativity in our mind, with discouragement. And it says here, so it was when the Jews who lived near it came that they told us 10 times. Man, have you got annoyed with somebody that, man, just 10 times? Are you serious? I'm tired of hearing that discouragement, man. Just help us build already. 
over and over and over and over again. Why? Because you choose to live near the enemy. You choose to live near discouragement. You chose to align yourself with the attacks. As long as you choose to live there, that's the way you're going to choose to also live your life. And it says here now, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Man, coming over here with some negative news as well. Why? Because the symptoms of those who choose to live by the enemy, that symptom is that they choose to also live in fear. And I'll tell you this, if you're prone to get discouraged, then you shouldn't risk your time by spending it with people that always bring discouragement information. If you, if you have a problem with always being discouraged, then stop hanging out with people and spending time with people and seeking out people that bring discouragement into your life. Why are you going to live by that discouragement and come all and carry that discouragement with you wherever you go because you chose to live near the enemy? Absolutely not. Go move. Live somewhere else now. Stop aligning yourself with that type of discouragement. I'm always discouraged because I'm around this environment. Then get out of that environment then. And don't be discouraged anymore. <laughs> but look what it says, verse 13. Therefore, look what Nehemiah does. I position. He's so tactful, tactical in his leadership. I position men behind the lower parts of the wall. At the openings. They were standing in the gap of the openings. Is there any openings in your life, in your family, in your ministry? Anywhere. Any openings that you have to stand there and watch. Anything that's exposed that the enemy can come and attack you in. And I set the people according to their families. Isn't this amazing? With their swords, their spears, and their bows. You see, this is incredible when we start to learn this because they regroup. And he says, I'm going to put them with their families. <laughs> Why? Because he knew that they would not protect any part of the wall more securely than if they were protecting also their family. <laughs> They would never protect that space the same as if they were protecting their kids, their family, their children, right, as well. And he put them together. He regrouped them to be together. What does this show us? To never try to overcome discouragement alone. How many times have you tried to overcome discouragement alone? You keep it to yourself. You try to live in discouragement. No, overcome discouragement together. And he positioned them to be and stand in the gap. It tells us this in verse 13. I positioned men in the lower parts of the wall in the openings. And I set the people according to their families. But what did, what did he tell them to do? Grab your sword, grab your spear, and grab your bow. You see, don't try to stand in the gap without your sword, your spear, and your bow. They weren't there only to defend they were also there to attack. <laughs> they were also there to attack. They're there to cover any exposed area, not only to defend it, but also to attack. They were all only on the defense. They were also on the offense there with a, 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 a spear, a sword, now, and a bow. And it says in verse 14, And I looked and arose. See, these two points, and these two words are important. Have you looked? Have you watched? Have you looked? Have you listened? Have you observed? And then arose to the occasion. Maybe God's calling you to arise to the occasion today. But it doesn't start until you say, Lord, give me an eye to watch. 
so that I can arise to the occasion, so that I can look and watch and arise. What does he arise to do here in verse 14? He arises as a leader to encourage the rest. And today we need to arise as men and women to encourage the rest. And I looked and I rose and I said to the nobles, the leaders and the rest of the people, the rest of them, what does he want to do? He's going to instill in them encouragement now. Do not be afraid of them. Why does he tell them that? Because they were living in fear. And maybe today you need to hear, stop living in fear. Stop living in fear. Do not be afraid of the attacks. Do not be afraid of the opposition. Don't be afraid of them. But the only way he can say, do not be afraid of the attacks, of the enemy, of the circumstances, the only way that he can say that is because first he looked and then he arose. A lot of times we want to see a big difference, but we don't want to look. And we don't want to arise to the occasion. He looked and he arose and he said, do not be afraid. And look who he goes to first. He tells the nobles and he tells the leaders. Because where the strength begins, he says, remember now, verse 14, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, comma. Remember the Lord. You know how you face discouraging situations? By remembering the Lord. Remember the Lord. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord. Why did he say remember? Because we oftentimes forget. That's why remember. Remember the Lord. Great and awesome. Do you remember how great and awesome the Lord is? And fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Maybe you came today and you no longer want to fight. You don't want to fight for your wife. You don't want to fight for your brethren. You don't want to fight for your son. You don't want to fight for your daughter. You don't want to fight for your sister. You don't want to fight for your house. You don't want to fight for your mom, for your dad. Remember the Lord and fight for your family. Oh, you know what? I just want to give up. The work is too much. It's never going to get done. I'm growing weak. I am so tired. Don't be afraid. Remember the Lord how great and awesome He is and continue to fight for your family. That's what it means to stand in the gap. Are you fighting for anyone today? Are you fighting for anyone today? Are you fighting for that relative that doesn't know Jesus? Are you just living in fear with negativity in your mind? They're never going to come to Jesus. He will never come. She will never come. That attitude is not the attitude of someone that's praying for a miracle. That is not the attitude of someone that's praying for a miracle. Remember the Lord, how great and awesome He is. And He's saying here, He's reminding them what's at stake. Fight for your family. Fight for your family. Oh, my family's a lost cause. Fight for them. There's too much rubbish. Fight for your family. And remember God. You know what he's doing here in verse 14? He's, he's directing them and their attention back to the Lord. Don't look at the rubbish. Look at the Lord. <laughs> Do not look at the rubbish. Look to the Lord. And don't give up. You know how you remember though? You know how you remember? How you remember? You remember the Lord by remembering the things that He said. <laughs> you know how you don't remember the Lord? By not remembering the things that He said. It is easier to face discouragement when you, you know the things that the Lord has said in His Word. 
Because when you remember the Lord's word, you remember him and his character and what he's able to do on your behalf. Remember the Lord by remembering the things that he said. I'll tell you, a lot of times I've seen some discouraging people live in discouragement because they don't remember what the Lord said. And the reason why they don't remember what the Lord said and the reason why they choose to live in discouragement is because they don't want to get in the Word of God. You get in the Word of God, I'll tell you this, you're going to remember what He said. And when you remember what He said, you're going to remember what He can do on your behalf. What did it say that, that Nehemiah did? He looked. He looked and then he arose. Are you looking to the Lord? Are you looking to the Lord? Because when you look, you also lighten the load. The burden goes off of you, and you know it's the Lord doing the work. It's not you. You oftentimes get tired when you're trying to carry the burden yourself. When you're trying to fix a situation. Look to the Lord. Look to the Lord. Don't look anywhere else. Don't look at the rubbish. Don't look at the circumstance. Don't look to, at the problem. Don't look at the attack. Don't look at, at the negativity. Don't look at the discouragement. Look to the Lord. See, the Christian church and the Christian disciples and we as a whole individual, sometimes we look at every direction except upward. We look everywhere except upward. And that's probably the reason why so many few people are willing to come to pray. Because they rather look everywhere else except in the prayer meeting. That's where exactly the only place they should be looking. And that's where they get tired of fighting. Because they're not fighting the right way. And they start to say, you know what? It's too much. I don't want to fight. I love what Alan Redpath said. He said, we have a strong tendency to rely on methods and skills which have served us well in the past instead of prayer. We have a strong tendency of relying on methods and skills that worked in the past instead of prayer. Just because it worked in the past does not mean it's going to work again in the present. Rely on prayer. Prayer is the respiratory, think about this, function of the church. It is the breathing machine of the church. Without it, we suffocate and die at last. Like a living body deprived of the breath of life. You think about it, when you're not praying, you are living, choosing to suffocate yourself to spiritual death. Because you're choosing not to pray. Prayer is everyone's privilege. Remember that. When you remember prayer is everyone's privilege, it will draw you to come to pray. It is everyone's privilege. Because it is there in prayer. Where we can permanently, I'll tell you, not, not temporarily, it is there in prayer. When you realize it, it is your privilege, you can permanently adapt now His ways and His priorities. If, if you're not in prayer, what's important to God will never be important to you. If you're not in prayer, what's important to God will never be important to you. And His ways will never be the ways that you're living in. It is where we permanently adapt to the Lord. Prayer. It is your privilege to pray. Man, that's so refreshing. Isaiah 26, verse 3. And I want you to write this down. Maybe you can go home and read it. You will keep him in perfect peace. You're discouraged today. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Not whose mind is stayed on his friend. Not whose mind is stayed on the church. Not whose mind is stayed on a philosophy. Not whose mind is stayed even on the pastor. Whose mind is stayed on you. 
Because he trusts in you. You want to have perfect peace? Then keep your mind on him because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in Yah, the Lord is everlasting strength. Is your mind stayed on the Lord? When your mind is stayed on God, guess what he's going to do? He will give you perfect peace. He will give you perfect peace. Verse 15, it says, And what happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing. <laughs> I'm so scared of what's going to happen. Guess what? When you start to fight, and you said, I'm not going to give up, Lord. I'm going to look to you. I know that prayer is my privilege. I know that that's where I permanently adapt your will, your ways, your priorities, God. That you start to defend me and you start to go on my behalf. It said here that the enemy understood that God had brought their plot to nothing. Not that another tribe brought their plot to nothing. Not that their friend brought their plot to nothing. That God brought their work to nothing. No matter the level of offense. And look what happens. God brought their plot to nothing. That all of us return to the wall. Everyone to his work. Everyone return to the wall. You're discouraged, go back to the wall. Keep building. Build through the discouragement. Stand in the gap by fighting. That's what it means to build through discouragement. God will defend you, and guess what? You can go back to work. You don't have to quit. You don't have to, oh, you know, I'm so discouraged. I need to take time off, this and that, and all this. No, you know what? Go to the Lord, and then go back to the wall. <laughs> and keep on fighting, and keep on building. And look what it says here now in verse 16. It gets, it gets better. So it was that from that time, the half of my servants worked at the construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and war armor. Oh, I want you to underline war armor so bad right now. <laughs> because maybe you're holding a, uh, 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 you know, I'm holding a bow right now. I'm holding a spear. I'm in ministry. I'm holding a bow, but I never walk around with armor. <laughs> Are you wearing armor today? It doesn't matter what else you wear. A lot of times we're so concerned about what we have to wear in our closet. Instead of if we can wear the armor of God in the prayer closet. Are you wearing that armor? They wore the armor. What does Ephesians 6.10 tell us? Put on the armor of God so that you can defeat the attacks of the enemy. From verses 4 to 6, it's all about spiritual warfare. We are in the middle of spiritual warfare in chapter 4. Are you wearing the armor? Oh, Lord, I'm going through it, but I, you know what? I feel like the Lord sometimes tells us, are you wearing the armor? You might be going through it, and you might have a, you know, a spear. You might have a bow because you think you're serving, but you're not wearing the armor. You haven't put it on because you haven't gone to that closet where it's at. The closet where you find the armor of God is in the prayer closet. And if you don't open that closet, more than likely you're not wearing that armor. You're not battle-dressed. You're not battle-ready. You're not going to be ready for the attack. Because you haven't opened the door to the prayer closet. And that's where the most important article of your clothing exists. It's the armor of God. You see, he started to find out here in Nehemiah that he who is in him was greater than he was in the world. 
And Nehemiah, you know what he did? He reminded them who they were fighting for, their brethren, their wives, their children, their families. But we fight most effectively for the Lord when we keep in mind how much we have and how much there is to lose. How much there is to lose. Are you, are you, are you willing to lose your family? Are you willing to lose your brother, your spouse? Are you willing to lose them? When you forget what's, what's at stake is when you stop fighting now effectively. In victory, I'll tell you this, victory doesn't mean that you're under spiritual attack. And victory doesn't mean that you're enduring the storm and that's what victory, that's not victory. Sometimes we think, I, I'm, I'm living in victory because all the discouragement, the attacks, and, and you know what, and I'm still enduring all the storm. I'm persevering and here I am. That is not victory. <laughs> we think that's victory, that's not victory. Because you know where the attacks come? The attacks don't come to number one do not only to stop you, but to prevent from the progress of the work. So victory doesn't only mean enduring the attack, but victory also means progressing the work. Progressing the work for the Lord. Advancing. Victory means advancing. It doesn't mean to be at a standstill. It means you're still building. It doesn't mean I'm here and I'm defending and I'm resisting. Resisting is not victory. Building is victory. Advancing is victory. And that's why we must maintain a balance of faith and action. They had faith, they were trusting God, but also action that half of them worked in construction and half of them were working where they were being fueled by faith. And what does it tell us in, in this verse, verse, 17, uh, verse 16, that they wore the armor. Those who build, verse 17, it says here, on the wall and those who carried burdens. Oh, I love this. You want to be a builder? Then you have to be willing to carry a burden. Oh, you know what? I want to be a leader at church, but I don't want to carry a burden. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I want to build a wall. I want to have an impact. I want to be faithful. But when it comes, you're going to give me a burden? No, you know what? Just give it to the other person. I don't want to carry a burden. It is when you start to carry a burden that you become a real leader for the Lord. If you carry no burden, then more than likely, you also carry no impact. You don't. Don't. Because it tells us here, look what it says here as they carried burdens. I love it. <laughs> look at the next two words. Loaded themselves. Loaded themselves. I only have one brick. I, I don't want another brick in this shoulder. You already gave me one brick. You better not put that brick in this other shoulder. They loaded themselves. That's too much for me. Oh, that's too much. I'm already doing this. I don't want to do that now. Come on. Seriously, don't stretch me. Don't stretch me. You're, you're taking me out of my comfort zone now. I'm already carrying one brick in this. That I'm already doing this. Do not make me do that. They loaded themselves, man. Are you loaded right now? Are you, are you carrying a burden? They loaded. They were loaded with purpose. Loaded with purpose here now. They loaded themselves. I pray that today you don't leave without being, having, carrying a burden and loading yourself with responsibility. Load yourself with responsibility. So that with one hand, look at this, this is radical. They worked at construction, and with the other hand, they held a weapon. Oh, you're, what you're talking about, you want, me to, you want me to do what? Are you out of your mind? No, they were one hand, they, had a, they were carrying a brick, and they are putting it on the wall, and the other hand, they had a sword. Talk about standing in the gap. I'm a leader, but I don't want to carry a sword and a brick at the same time. No. 
You want to build effectively. With one hand a brick, with the other hand, let me see your other hand. That's where you have your sword. And let's, let's keep on building. Hey, I mean, you, you guys think this is, it gets better right now. You talk about these people getting burned out. <laughs> one hand a brick, another hand a sword. That's commitment. That's faithfulness. That's discipline right there. That's supporting the work. Verse 18. Every one of the builders, everyone, not one, not two, not three. I love it when I see people here at church. What blesses me when I see people here in the church? You know what blesses me the most? When they don't limit themselves. It's so awesome to see it. It's, I love it. I see, you know, some of these men that they're on the roof at one moment, the next moment, they're with the kids. These men that are doing announcements, then in another moment, they're serving communion. That's loading yourself. That's loading yourself with what the Lord wants you to do. Don't limit what God wants you to do, because it says here, every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side. Look at it. As he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. I love it here that they had the sword by, them, by, by their side when they were building, because that's what you need. You want to be a builder? You want to be a leader? Then you better carry your sword by your side. People want to build without the sword on their side. You see, the most effect, you're, you're, you're most effective when you're committed to the sword. This is the sword right here. This, that's the sword. You have to have your sword by your side. I want to come serve, but I forgot my Bible. Then just go back, because you can't serve if you don't have the sword. <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. It's the sword of the Spirit. The only way to build or the only way to rebuild is with one hand on the brick and another hand on the sword. The sword should never leave your side. The Bible should never leave your side if you want to rebuild the right way. I want to see the Lord do a work, but I don't want the sword. You need the sword. And if you, if you don't have the sword by your side, then you don't belong anywhere near the wall. Get away from the wall. Get away from it. Because you don't have the sword. You're going to be a liability. We become a liability when we are not by the sword. We need to have the sword. It's not an option. That's how we overcome discouragement and opposition with the sword. The sword on one hand, the brick on the other hand. Let's continue reading as we finish. And then, and then I said to the nobles, the rulers, the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive. He wasn't going to lie, man. There's a lot of work to get done. The work is great. The work is extensive. Now he tells them this. And we are separated far from one another on the wall. He tells them, you know what? We're separated wall, uh, far from one another. And I love it that they're separated as well. He regrouped them in groups of families to, uh, now. But then he also separated them, some of them. Why do he do that? Because if we separate ourselves, guess what we do? We cover more territory. We cover more. I mean, I tell these guys, don't stand next to me a lot. Go find something else to do. If we're always together, that means we're covering the same place. You cover another place that I can't cover. And that's why, guess what he's doing? He's expanding now their capacity. Nehemiah is doing, he's so tactful when it comes to a leader now. This is the great, the work is extensive. We're far from one another. And it, and it tells him here, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, I want you to rally. That means rush. Run. Run to the sound of where you hear that trumpet. I'll be there. And God's going to fight for us. 
They were on, they were on watch 24-7. And he's saying here, the trumpeter is right next to me. And whenever you hear that sound, we're going to have overcoming victory. And we're going to trust God that he's going to fight for us. And, and this is what I love about it. Watch to where you hear the sound. To where you hear the sound. Do you hear the sound? I, I love it here because it gives us a picture. It's a trumpet sound. <laughs> are you waiting to hear that trumpet sound? Where we are going to meet our commander-in-chief. And we're going to rush to be in the presence and rally together as a church. Where that trumpet sounds from. And the enemy will be overthrown because God will fight for us. And I can't wait till we hear that trumpet sound. And we're all, we're all taken up and caught up into heaven and be with the Lord and then come back for the 1,000-year reign and overcome Satan once and for all as he's then judged and cast into the lake of fire, as the Bible says. But guess what he told them? Be ready to hear the trumpet sound. Man, that's amazing. <laughs> Are you ready to hear that trumpet sound? Are you, do you even know that there's a sound? Such like a trumpet sound. So we labored in the work. I love it. It says labor means we exhausted ourselves. It didn't say we, we just worked. Labor means exhausted. means diligent. means faith. We worked with exhaustion. And it says here now. Here. And half of the men held their spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Man. From daybreak until lunchtime? No. From 9 to 5? No. Wednesday? Sunday, no. From daybreak, from the sunrise to the sunset, until the stars appeared. Just imagine that. When you start to see the sunrise, and you're there with one brick and the sword, and you're there building with the sword, and you're building, and you're building, and you're building, and all of a sudden, the sun starts to go down, and then you start to see some stars. <laughs> And you start to realize, man, I have been here for a while. That's amazing. That's the faithfulness that we need to desire. From daybreak, Lord, I will be here till the stars appear. Whatever it takes, I'm going to be here. And it says here now, the stars appear. This is another way of faithfulness. This is what it means to stand in the gap. From sunrise to sunset, that is standing in the gap. I want to stand in the gap, but I, I mean, I'm going to stand in the gap from, from 9 to... 9 to 12, and then I can't stand after that. That's not standing in the gap. And then verse 22, at the same time. Oh, I love it. Man, just when you think that it just, you need to calm down, Nehemiah, you're overboarding. You know, this is overboard. <laughs> you need to relax. <laughs> it sounds too much. You're going to scare people. They need a break at the same time. They didn't say at a different time. At the same time, with well, all that's just happening that we just described, at the same time, I also said, to the people, that each man his servants stay at night in Jerusalem, <laughs> that, they may, that they may be our guard by night, and that they may work by day. Mike, you have got to be kidding me, Nehemiah. First, you're telling people, the one hand with the sword, another hand with the brick, and then you're telling other people, you hear the sound of the trumpet, then rally to us. Then you have a group that from sunrise to sunset is there, and then at the same time, you're telling people, don't leave Jerusalem. Those of you that live outside of Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem now. And he, you know what he tells them there? Now, after he says, stay in Jerusalem, be our guard by night. You also help us by guard by night. 
And since you're staying here, at day, you can just work. <laughs> Man, that's incredible. Why? Is he, is he, is he radical? Is he, is he here now in a place where he's, he's going overboard? Or is he just a man trying to do what God called him to do? Is he just wanting to be faithful the way God called him to be faithful? You know what I, I pray that, that we, would, we would realize that there is a Nehemiah in all of us that needs to be there fighting from the, sun, from the sunrise to the sunset. That we don't want to live Jerusalem. We don't want to leave the outside of the walls. That we don't, would not want to leave any place at night unguarded and work during the day. No clocking in, no clocking out. I'm all in. This is what it means to be faithful. You know what they were learning? They were learning to serve one another at the same time. At the same time, they were serving one another. At the same time, they were serving one another. Why? Because they had that mentality to serve one another. I'm not going to leave. I'm going to serve one another. How involved are you in other people's lives? How invested are you in it? How invested? You know when you're invested in someone, you care too much to let it, that thing just ruin, to not take care of it. You're too invested. Nehemiah was too invested. I'm too invested. I can't leave. Whether it's day, whether it's night, whether it's sore, whether it's stone, whatever it is, I'm too invested in this work. I'm invested in the work and I'm invested in the people. Are you invested in the work and are you invested in the people? That's, that's a real wall builder. Invested in the work, invested in the people. And then look what it says, verse 23 as, as we finish. Because man, I'll tell you, this is when it, when it gets to you. <laughs> so neither did I, my brethren, my servants, it says here, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off their clothes. <laughs> this is insane, right? They didn't even take off their clothes, their working clothes. They, sl they slapped in their working clothes. Uh, you know what? It says here, except that everyone took off for washing. They, they basically just took off to wash themselves, and then they put their working clothes back on. I mean, you, you, they, you start to live in your garments for work. I mean, can you, do you, do you, I mean, do, do we get this right here in verse, this verse 23 now? They started to, to now live in their working clothes. They didn't want to, they didn't want to, no excuses to why say they weren't ready. You know what they were doing when they kept their clothes on to work? They were staying ready. We're staying ready because if we hear that trumpet sound, we're going to go. We're staying ready because this is the season where we have no excuses. We're fully committed and we want to be more like this. I'm going to keep my working clothes on. Why? It's not like I'm going anywhere. <laughs> I have my boots ready to work. I have my hands that are ready to work. I have the working clothes on. You see, they clipped their works at all times because they didn't want to be caught unprepared. And if you're caught unprepared, it's because maybe you're not girded you're not girded to hear the sound of the trumpet. They were always ready to respond to that blast of the trumpet. We need to have the same attitude today. Where I always, we always have our clothes on. We're always ready. But we can't say, I'm not ready. I wasn't ready today. I was ready the other day, but today I'm not ready. If you stay ready, then you don't, you don't have to be scared about getting ready. You're always ready for the final trumpet blast that will gather us with our Lord. You know when Jesus gave that parable in Luke chapter 12, verse 35, we talked about faithfulness. You know what he said? Let your waist be girded and let your lamp be burning.
because you don't know when he's coming. That's what it means to be faithful. That when your waist is girded and you have oil for your lamp to keep burning. Let's pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, God. We thank you for your word, Lord. It's so true. I pray, Lord, that we would carry burdens, that we would load ourselves. That everything that we would do, Lord, that we would remember what faithfulness means. Thank you, Lord, because you've shown us a clear picture of what it means to stand in the gap. We don't want to define standing in the gap our own way. We want to define standing in the gap by your word. I pray that we would not give up on fighting for our family, for our ministries, for our spiritual relationship with you, Lord. That we would want it because we're invested in the work and we're invested in the people. And we would pray this all in Jesus' name. Together we said.